Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. How are you guys? Good to be here. My name is Chris Gretzu. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills Costa Mesa. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for joining us online as well. Uh, you guys may notice some different uh, artwork in the room today. We had a prayer experience this past week um, that was a really incredible experience. A lot of people were able to come out and there was a ton of fo- uh, positive feedback. And so we tried to figure out how can we just make sure we leave these up for other people to experience too. So it's a little bit of a different vibe because we had this amazing music and all these great lights and all this kind of stuff. But uh, I would love for you guys to take some time after service. Um, there's an introduction poster in the lobby. You can read that. And then if you want to come around and just look at some of these things or if you get bored while I'm talking up here. You can just kind of focus in on something else. So, so many different ways to learn today. Uh, But uh, it was a great time, and uh, I'm excited for today because, um, you know, a lot of times what we talk about is, uh, let me see if I can phrase this. A lot of times on Sundays, I I want to inspire and encourage you, and I want to challenge you. And I think that that can be a really good thing because we can walk out of here feeling full and hopeful and like we've got energy to attack another week. And and then uh, we come back the next Sunday to kind of get like another recharge. Has anybody else ever, I've said this before, like I I go from Sunday to Sunday. Has anybody else felt that a little bit? Um, Well, what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks and what we're going to continue today is I want to give you guys resources and, and practices that will keep you alive the other six days. Do you guys know there's seven days in a week? Um, one hour at church on a Sunday, I love it. It's one of my most favorite things in the world, but it is not enough to keep us whole and full and connected to the source of life and meaning and purpose. And so today we're talking about um, some practices that we can do. We started this last week. Uh, There's something called spiritual disciplines. Everybody say that together with me. Spiritual disciplines. Doesn't even sound fun when we say it as a group, right? Uh, This word disciplines, a lot of times people will call these spiritual practices, which which I think is um, maybe a, a more accurate way because it's something that we continue doing. We are practicing By doing these actions, we're practicing in those times of intentionally doing something, we are practicing so that we can do them in the times that we're not trying to. It it shapes our hearts. It shapes our minds. It shapes our, our perspective, our outlook, the way we show up in relationships. Last week, we talked about some inward disciplines, prayer reading the Bible, uh, meditation, fasting. We ended our service last week with a few minutes where we just meditated together, which was the first time that I've ever been to a church service that we had a time of meditation. I don't know about you guys, uh, but it was really powerful to be able to say, hey, we want to take away all the distractions. We want to focus. We want to meditate on a scripture, on a passage, and fill our mind fully with this truth of what God is saying. It was a really powerful experience. So we're going to continue today um, Last week was inward disciplines, and this week we are looking at outward disciplines. And we uh, read this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul wrote this to a young leader named Timothy. He said, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much 
better. It promises benefits in this life and the life to come. And all throughout scripture, we see this kind of repeating idea that there is a similarity in the effort that we put into physical training, to running a race, uh, to, to this practice. There's a similarity in the way we do things for our physical health as we do for our spiritual health. And I think that we could probably spend just an hour drawing all the correlations of, of between these two things, the similarities. You know, uh, well, I showed up, but I don't feel any different today. I, I showed up the one time. I don't feel quite the, different yet. I, I'm not exactly who I want to be yet. Yeah, we got to continue practicing. This is true of our physical lives and our spiritual lives. The, I don't really want to do this today. <laughs> It's true of our physical lives and our spiritual lives. There's all of these correlations. And so we want to remind ourselves and we want to focus in on what are some of the practices, the, the routines, the disciplines that I can put into place in my life that as I follow these things, it'll cultivate health, wholeness, purpose. I'll see change in my life and the ways that I long to see change. Uh, and so there's this aspect of training and preparing. But at the same time, while we are training and while we are preparing, it's nice to know and be reminded of what is it that I'm preparing for? What is it that I'm training for? Why am I doing all of this work? What is it all of this effort? What's it leading me towards? Uh, I don't believe that it's just making us holy people that can live in robes alone in a monastery. I think that it's causing us to be shaped and transformed for something specific. Ultimately, I believe that it's shaping us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. I think this is one of the, this is the great calling. This is the great commandment is to love God. This is what Jesus said in, in Luke 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he says, the second is equally as important, which is interesting. And I think a lot of us think that the second is like almost as important of how we love others the same as we love ourselves. It's like, well, I'll love God with everything that I have, and I'll do my best with others. Uh, I'll try real hard this week. Uh, but they're connected. They're very much connected. Uh, on Friday, Ez and I went for a bike ride, and we made an unplanned stop at a store. And I had a bike lock, but there was nothing to lock our bikes to. So I just locked them together in the hopes that somebody wouldn't be able to take one of them, or I guess maybe they could take both if they were very agile. Uh, but, but there's a sense of they were like locked together, and I think that there's some similarities here for us. We start to realize the way that I love God is proven and visible by the way that I love others. And the way that I love others communicates something about the way that I love God. There's a, a connection here. So these practices that are transforming our hearts and, and training us to be whole and different and healthier than we are currently, they have a purpose. They have a meaning. It's to love God, to love others, and to love ourselves. There's going to be some information we go through. There's four points that I'm going to talk about. And information is really valuable and it's really helpful, but information alone doesn't change us. So these last couple of weeks, they felt to me a little bit more like um, a class than like a normal sermon. I don't know if you guys have felt that way. Uh, it doesn't really matter how you guys have felt um, because I have a microphone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I want to encourage you guys because this is something that I, I want you to be encouraged, and I think you will be, but this is really something for you to actually do 
or use this week. So you can take notes on pen and paper. You can take pictures of the screen is what some people like to do. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways to take some of this information. It's not just helpful to have information. You have to learn how do I apply this to my life. So the first uh, spiritual practice, the outward practice that I want to talk about today is solitude. Everybody say solitude. Solitude. I think culturally, the only uh, solitude that we're really familiar with is the the fortress of solitude, right, Superman? Uh, but uh, maybe not everybody's familiar with that. Just me and Wes. That's cool. Um, solitude is taking time to be alone with God and your soul, and it's important for us to realize that solitude is different than being alone. Being alone doesn't mean that you are practicing solitude. Loneliness is different than solitude. We were all alone for a lockdown. It was not necessarily a healthy thing for us. There's a difference between being alone and practicing solitude. There's an intentionality in not just moving away from other people or noises or busyness, but also moving towards God, engaging with God. Isolation is oftentimes just an escape from others. And sometimes we're alone, not because we necessarily want to be alone. We just feel alone. And that also is not, it does not equal solitude. But in those moments, we can lean into solitude. Um, You know, for myself, honestly, slowing down and finding space to be quiet and unplug and turn off the phone and actually say, okay, I'm going to take an hour or I'm going to take a half of a day or I'm going to take a whole day is terrifying. I don't love to be alone with my thoughts. I don't like to slow down enough. Do you guys notice how when you take time off over the Christmas break, this year is different because everybody got sick for other reasons. But generally in history, you take time off for you know Christmas break or you get some time and all of a sudden your body slows down enough to realize, oh, I don't know that I am well. I think I'm, I'm unhealthy. I think I've been moving too fast, too hard. I've been, I've been trying, you know, whatever it is, I get scared, I get nervous about solitude because I don't always want to be alone with my thoughts. Certain things only surface when we are still, when we find quiet and space, and that can be a scary thing. Oftentimes, I know I look for guidance, clarity, direction from God, and the best way that I can find it is by slowing down and and removing the other stuff of life. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's a day. It can be different things, but oftentimes it's, I have to choose to, to move away from things and focus in on hearing God's voice, avoiding the noise and the chaos and the to-do lists that are swirling all the time. When it comes to your life, you are always in it, which never gives you an opportunity to have perspective on it. I don't know if this illustration works. Don't tell me if it doesn't. My coffee, it doesn't know what the outside of my cup looks like. It only knows what the inside of my cup looks like. It's in there. It can't see anything else. And the same is true of our lives. We never get to have perspective on the bigger picture, step away from the chaos of of coming home and the family or going to work or the activities or the bills or the whatever it is. It's like begging and grabbing and, and kind of taking your attention, we're always in it. And so it's hard for us to have perspective on it. And that's what solitude allows us to have. Solitude gives us an ability to listen to God's voice differently. 
It's not that we can't hear God's voice in the middle of the chaos of the world and of life, but it gives us an opportunity to focus in on that. It gives us clarity and discernment in how we make decisions. It gives us freedom from living our life in reference to others, is the way one writer put it. The idea of living our life in reference to others. Some of you don't know how to be you. You just know how to be a couple. You just know how to be a mom with a son or a dad with a daughter, or you just know how to be a manager of a team. We live our lives, we fall into this trap of, of, of not even being able to really identify who we are as an individual, someone that God created specifically and uniquely because we're so connected to other people in our lives. Solitude can uh, help prepare us for upcoming challenges or difficult seasons. I know for me, one of the things I've been talking about with my counselor and some mentors is just the opportunity of taking some time away because it just feels like it has been a battle for a few, a few months or slash years. Uh, and, and so this idea of what does it mean just to take some time away, just to recharge, and then I can step back into the fight, like a tag team situation. Uh, what would that look like for you? Arlo, our six-year-old, uh, loves people. He loves everything. There's nothing he doesn't like except for healthy food. Everything else, he's all in on it. Um, the other day, I was trying to, this is not the point of this message or the story, so I'm going to tell you too. I was trying, I've been trying to figure out, what do I feed this kid? Because I make, I think, pretty good food, and he won't have any of it. I'm like, Arlo, if you were going to go to a restaurant, what would you order from a restaurant? What would you want that's not candy? And he's like, oh, a cutie. <laughs> Like the the orange, that's like maybe a carrot, but just the orange carrots. Okay, what else? He's like, I don't know. That's it. I was like, well, thanks. That's really helpful for me. Anyways, I said that story didn't matter. But uh, he's he loves people, loves playing with people, high energy, always on the go. And there's moments where, as a parent, uh, you just need him to play by himself. Just you know, figure it out. And he just struggles so much. And he has this bit where he says to us, he's like, I just don't know how to play by myself. And we love to respond with, well, it's a great time to practice. And I think there's this reality for us with solitude of saying, you know what, I get it. You might not know how to. You might not like it. It might not be your first preference, the favorite way of spending time, but you should practice. Maybe take some time, figure out, step a, step a toe in the water, spend an hour, spend 30 minutes, whatever it might look like. And I want to remind you guys that this isn't just about being alone, because I know some of the introverts in the room are fine with that. It's an intentionality of saying, I'm going to set everything else aside so that I can connect with God, so I can hear from God. In that solitude, you could spend time reading scripture or praying or meditating. There's all kinds of different things you could do in that time. But it's to connect you deeper with God. So practically, I like to kind of break some of these things up into four categories, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Daily is a stretch for all of us. Uh, You have busyness in life and schedules and families and jobs. I get that. But maybe it's drinking your coffee without your phone outside on the patio for 15 minutes. Maybe it's at night after, you know, you, you get a chance to settle down a little bit, taking a walk around the block. 
It could be a lot of different things, an intentional time uh, weekly. Maybe it's blocking out two hours or three hours once a week in your calendar and not doing other stuff. Maybe it's once a year taking a day away just by yourself. It could look a lot of different ways, but there's an intentionality to doing this. One person said that solitude has the same impact on our mind that sleep has on our body. It gives our mind the necessary opportunity to recover there's this reality for us. We need this in our lives. The second uh, spiritual discipline that we want to look at, the practice we want to look at, is submission. Another fun one. Everybody say submission. Yes. So fun. Submission is deciding to willingly defer to a certain person, place, or practice. We're choosing I'm going to defer to a, a person. I'm going to, I'm going to submit to another person by choice or a, a rhythm or a practice by choice. I'm going to choose to live my life by this practice. In our culture, really, nobody wants to submit to anyone, really. We believe that we are independent and fully in control, uh, but there is so much health that comes from it. And if we look at it, if we have eyes to actually see it and find it, we see submission show up in all kinds of ways. One of the examples I think of oftentimes is, especially right now with football happening, is these players that submit to a coach to tell them what to do and how to do it. When oftentimes the coaches don't look like they could run 10 yards, let alone make the winning play. But there's this, I'm going to choose to submit because I believe that they have a perspective on what's happening that I don't have on the field. I'm going to choose to believe that they know something, that they can understand, that they, they, they're removed from where I'm at and, and I can learn from what they're doing. We, we find submission in all kinds of different places. Submission is organizing our life around something bigger and more stable than whatever our immediate feelings and impulses are. But it requires trust. It's not easy. I get that. None of these are necessarily easy. But submitting to someone requires trust. I wonder if there's anyone in your life, and I asked myself the same question, and I won't tell you what my answer was. Is there anyone in your life that you have chosen to submit yourself to? And that idea probably gives you chills. It's a difficult thing to do this, but it's actually a spiritual practice And there's goodness that comes when we find someone who is trustworthy of submitting ourselves to. There's actually freedom that comes in there. We don't trust blindly. Maybe we trust the process of a fitness plan, even if we don't feel immediate results. Maybe we trust a coach to see the whole game, not just our part of it. There's these ideas. As I was thinking about uh, person, places, and practices, and how we could submit you know, maybe for you, submitting to people would be saying, you know what, I'm going to submit to, uh, I'm a part of this small group. that We meet regularly, and these people, they know about my life, they know what's going on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know what, I want to give you guys the freedom to speak into my life and help, help give me some awareness and clarity of areas that I'm not clear on. Maybe submitting to a practice would be, I'm going to spend 15 minutes every morning praying. I'm going to read my Bible every morning. This is a practice I'm going to submit to. And I won't necessarily always want to. I won't always necessarily see immediate goodness or fruit come from it. But I'm going to submit to this practice. And maybe submitting to a place would be 
submitting to being a part of a church community. And if it's South Hills, if you're part of our family, then I love that. If it's not South Hills, maybe it's a different church for you, but it's saying, you know what, I'm gonna submit to this. This is gonna be my community. I'm gonna be a part of this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up here, and I'm gonna submit myself to this, this place. Submission is a difficult thing to find. I think that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, to submit ourselves to each other as we honor Christ. It should be there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Most people, especially husbands, like the next verse where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But before it starts talking specifically about wives, it actually just says, you all need to submit yourselves to each other. Not because the other person is smarter than you or deserves it or holier or whatever, has all the right answers. You submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. It's because of who Jesus is that we actually can have the courage to submit ourselves to each other. Because I know that this person doesn't have the final say on my soul. This person doesn't have, uh, they don't have to be perfect because I actually am relying on Jesus for that. Uh, There's a, a whole aspect of submission that's so crucial for us to understand. Some of us have trouble submitting just really frankly, because life is crazy. Life is busy. We don't have enough time or resources or energy after everything else that's going on in our lives, which will lead us into the third practice, which is simplicity. Everybody say simplicity. It sounds so much better than the first two. Solitude, submission, simplicity. It's like Marie Kondo. It's very popular. Uh, and it is. It's, it's a great idea, but I think most people that choose to do this, um, I think that they kind of pick and choose how and where they want to simplify their life. It's like very much, okay, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be in charge of how much this impacts me, whereas this practice of simplicity is really much more overarching. It's refusing to believe that more is always the way to happiness. It's not just money or stuff. It could be relationships. A lot of us are just like addicted to people. Maybe it's uh, success. I mean, it could show up in so many different ways. And simplicity says, I'm, I'm not going to believe that more is always the pathway to happiness. I'm going to right-size my expectations. I'm going to recategorize the things that I call needs. I'm going to make sure that I recognize they're actually just wants. And it's okay to want things. It's not a bad thing to want things but let's not call it a need if it really is just a, it's a want, it's a desire. I think for a lot of us, our, our anthem, our slogan is more, better, bigger, and this is kind of what we're pursuing in a lot of different ways. Simplicity is determining how we can get more joy from less stuff. It's actually being able to find wholeness and fullness of joy. Paul wrote this in Philippians. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. In other words, My paraphrase here is that God is so strong and so capable that he can even help you live with less and be filled with joy in the midst of it. 
it's hard to believe that I could really find fullness of joy with less. That's not really the way that we're taught or way that we choose to believe. When we choose to live with less, we really can experience fullness of joy. And then we recognize that we're not just living with less uh, to that end, but it's so that we can be open-handed and generous with what we have. Thomas Merton, uh, author, theologian, he said this. He said, without courage, we can never attain simplicity. Cowardice keeps us double-minded. I didn't have time to put that on a slide, so I'm going to read it again. Without courage, we can never attain true simplicity. Cowardice keeps us double-minded. It takes courage to believe that you can have fullness of joy with less stuff. It takes courage to believe that. And when we don't have courage, we have cowardice. And so we want to believe we can live with less and have just as much joy or maybe even more joy, but I'm just not totally convinced. So I'll reorganize my sock drawer, but don't touch anything else. I'll be simple in a couple areas and a couple categories, but not in others because I'm not totally convinced. We're afraid that it might not be true, and we're invited to have courage in our simplicity. It's difficult to determine wants from needs. And so here's the way that Paul described it. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I'd like a couple more things on the list, personally. Or maybe clarification on what kind of food we're talking about or where the clothes are from. He's essentially saying if, if you have clothes to wear, if you're not starving, if you're not sleeping on the street, then you have what you need. And the implication is that if you can experience contentment with what you have, with it being even just a little, then you actually are able to be generous. Even if you don't have as much as Bill Gates or whoever the other person is or the other mom at school or the neighbor down the street or whatever it is, you might not have as much. But because you have contentment with a little, you actually are able to be maybe even dare I say, more generous than someone who has everything. Paul is telling us to practice giving away the excess that we have. We have a house and we have a car, and some of us have a house for our car called a garage. We have clothes, and we pack out our closets. And I say we because it's me too. And I only wear a handful of those things but my closet is so full. It's amazing that that bar doesn't break in my closet. It's like, wh- what, why do I need all of this? I come up with so many reasons for it. We can choose to live a different way and practice simplicity and generosity. One of the things that my wife and I, in different seasons, we've handled this different ways. Sometimes we've been really good at it, and sometimes we've been really terrible at it. Um, but there was a season for about a, two or three years where every time we went to the grocery store, we had agreed that we would, uh, as much money as we spent on groceries for ourselves, we would donate to a local uh, food bank. And all of a sudden, we couldn't get everything that we wanted at the grocery store. But we could get everything we needed at the grocery store. Instead of getting Fruit Loops, I got Fruit O's. <laughs> it's very discouraging. It's, you can make some adjustments and recognize, man, I still have everything that I need, and I've got plenty to share. There was a season, it's clearly not right now, but when I would get a new shirt, I would donate an old shirt. 
It was just one for one. I don't need to keep collecting shirts. It doesn't need to work that way. There's all kinds of ways that we can practice this idea of simplicity and build an awareness of the joy that we can have. Um, The mindset of simplicity is these three kind of statements. Everything I have is all God's anyways. We believe that everything we have, not just the, the money and the, and the stuff, but also the, who we are, the passion, the, the, the skills. God has given us all of this. We're called to steward these things. Everything I have is all God's anyways. Everything I have is actually more than enough for joy, which is the one that maybe make us the most frustrated statement there. And then everything I have isn't just for me. What you have is actually enough for you to have joy. I know you don't want to hear it. Like that car or the new phone, or the clothes, or just the freedom to make those kind of decisions at your own whim, that feels like what true joy might feel like. But actually, what you have is enough to experience full joy. And everything you have isn't just for you. For, for you. I heard one person say, one pastor said, uh, he calls it the, the uh, consumption assumption. It's the belief that if it's in my hand, then it must be for me to eat. And this reality that all of the stuff that we hold, whether it's in your bank account or your hand or your closet or your home or whatever it is, there's this assumption, well, it's mine, that it must be for me. I earned it. I worked for it. It's all mine. But the reality is, is that God is calling us to live a life of generosity and caring for others. Practicing simplicity reminds us of this, and it can push anxiety out of our hearts as well. The last one I want to look at is service. Everybody say service. Solitude. Solitude. Yep. Uh, sim- uh, submission. Simplicity. And service. Service is leveraging your time and energy and effort to benefit others. And I think a lot of times, especially in our culture and what we see around, and we probably fall into this trap from time to time, is, is we like to serve when um, it's like a good like photo op. You know, we want to make sure that there's a picture I can post on social media about this good work that I'm doing. Get a little credibility, for, you know, a little credit for it. Uh, we like to serve when other people would categorize it as a big deal. We like to serve when we're celebrated. We like to serve people that we think are worthy of serving. Like, yeah, their need is legitimate. I don't really know any details, but I don't think that they legitimately need help. They're probably just trying to get my money. We like to serve when it's something that we enjoy doing and only when it's something that we enjoy doing. We, we like to serve when we are in the mood for it and those times when we have extra time in our schedules. You guys know what that's like, right? The extra time in your schedules. We like to serve when it's something that we want to do. We fall into this trap a lot of times of, uh, of, yeah, I will serve when it fits this criteria, but there's this practice of serving that we are called to live out. And this is the way that Jesus modeled his life. The Son of Man came not to serve, but, or not to be served, but to serve. Uh, this is who we're called to be, this, this lifestyle of serving, of using our time and our energy and our effort to benefit others. One of the primary reasons why it's so crucial for us to serve is because of the way that it changes our hearts. It helps us experience wholeness and fullness and and shifts our perspective to accurately recognize what matters when we start to serve. It does so many different aspects in our hearts and our minds and our relationships. 
And I think for a lot of us, we find ourselves, especially as you get older, as you accumulate more stuff or more money or more power or position or whatever it might be, you, you don't have to serve as much. And I think that the less you have to serve, the more you probably should serve, the more beneficial it is for you to serve. Even for, uh, in, in my role, I'm a pastor, FYI. Uh, I do this full time, so I'm a professional pastor. So I spend my time serving people in a lot of ways. But it's also my job. This is what I do. Uh, so how you know I, I provide for my family through this. So is it still serving? And I wrestle with this. And so I say, well, you know what? I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to find other ways. And, and there are organizations and opportunities where I show up and I serve outside of any requirements for this. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn because if I can be honest with you guys, I usually lie a lot in my sermons. But let me just be honest with you for a minute. Just kidding. I don't want to. I don't want to serve. I have other stuff I want to do. I, I worked all day. I did a lot of stuff for a lot of people. I'd like to do something for myself. And there's always excuses for not showing up or not doing that thing that I've committed to doing. There's always a million things, but it's so crucial for me to still show up and serve because it shapes my heart to be more like Christ. And it does the same for you as well. We have got to continue doing this. When we serve, it is a series of actions that helps us cultivate an attitude towards others that is not natural to us, putting others before ourselves. So practically speaking, we looked at these four different disciplines, these four practices, this information that you can take and say, okay, what does it look like for me to have solitude and, and sub, uh, submit myself to people or practices and, and to simplify and recognize that I don't need more and to serve others? Okay, practically speaking, we have this information, but the, the inconvenient reality of this is that the information doesn't work if you don't do it. And this is what James wrote about, and I don't have time to read the passage, but he says, if you hear the word and, and you go away and don't do what it says, it's like when you look in a mirror and then you walk away and forget what you look like. If it was written in 2022, it'd probably be like, it's like when you look at your Apple Watch and then you put it away and you don't remember what time it was. Does anybody else ever do that? It's like, wait, what time was it? It's like we have this ability to just immediately forget things. And we are called to do these things, to practice these things. Because certain things, certain breakthroughs, certain growth only comes through the practice of doing things not thinking about it or feeling good about it, not even just believing it, but actually the practice of doing it. Father Richard Rohr uh, said this. He said, being informed is different than being formed. And the first is a common substitute for the second. And another way of saying this is that it's much easier to know what we're supposed to do than to do it. And a lot of times, especially in religion, it's easy to know all of the right things to do. I know the verses. I know what I should do. I know how they should act. I can judge them, and I can be aware of all these different things. But are we actually doing it? Are we being formed? Are we living our lives in a way that gives God an opportunity to continue transforming our hearts? And here's what's so important. I didn't say this first service, but I hope they know it's true. 
you don't have to do these things to be loved, forgiven, or accepted by God. That is a free gift that comes with believing in Christ. But for those of you who, like me, would like to fix some things, to see some growth, change, transformation happen in myself and my heart, my mind, my relationships, these practices help us see that change come into place. It's not just knowing that I should. It's actually doing the practices. Leanne's excited about it. (laughs) Just kidding. I love hearing them because they have so much fun in there, and our kids love going to church, which is an amazing gift. Uh, I love that we get to create that. So practically speaking, it does not matter how nice your running shoes are if you don't put them on and run. I can't be the only person who has ever put on or bought a new pair of workout clothes thinking that it would get me to work out, and it doesn't work that way. We have got to say, okay, I'm going to put this thing on. And just like my six-year-old, I don't know how. I don't like it. I'd rather do something different. But you know what? It's good, and I can learn, and we can learn together. And so practically, my, my challenge for all of us today, I recognize not everybody that's here right now, may, you may not call South Hills your home. You may not even be totally clear on where you stand as far as believing in Jesus, and I get that. But for those of you that would call South Hills your home, that you're, you're a follower of Jesus, here's my challenge. I want you to commit to attending, serving, and giving on a regular basis. These are not the only ways, they're not even close to being the only ways to practice these spiritual disciplines. There's a thousand ways. And you can can do those other ways also. But until you do, just do these. I know for myself, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it that way. I'll find a different way. But then a year goes by. So let me just, just do these until you find a better way a different way. And if you want other ways, I'll, I'll share them with you as well. There's a, so many ways we can practice these four spiritual disciplines. But attending, submitting ourselves to a place, to a people, to a community, serving, which has to do with, again, there's this aspect of the way that we submit. It has to do with generosity. Uh, giving has to do with simplicity. These are ways we can practically step into these things. It's a simple way for you to practice Simplicity, submission, and service right where you're at. Attend. One of the things as uh, this year, every, the last three years have been nuts. So as I'm looking at 2022, I'm like, okay, what does it look like for us as a church? What does it mean to be a part of a church, to show up to church? What does a regular attender look like? It's, it's all different than it used to be, and I totally get that. So one of the things that I've been praying for, for our church, for our community, is that we're here as much as we are not here. There's four Sundays in a week. It's like, man, I hope our people are here two out of the four. That feels like a fairly attainable goal because I got a lot of judgment back in the day when I was like, oh, you're not there every Sunday, all day. Uh, some of you guys know what it's like. You grew up in a church like that also. So, But be here as much as you're not here. And I get that there's stuff. There's trips. There's vacations. There's work stuff. There's sicknesses and family. I get that there's other stuff. And one of the things that's amazing that's come out of this is that you guys can watch online with all of our online people. You can listen to a podcast. or Just stay connected. Be a part of this church in the way that you attend. Serve. 
find a place to serve. Kathy's gonna be over at that connect wall after service. If you guys have questions about what that looks like, she would love to help give you an idea. Uh, but I would invite you to challenge, I wanna challenge you to serve anywhere at all. It can be outside of the church, but inside the church. Find a place to plug in, jump in. Our church has always had a heart for serving, which I'm incredible for. Um, and we have amazing volunteers, especially over the last couple years that have kind of carried us through the chaos of all of the stuff. Amazing volunteers. I'm so grateful for them. We're coming up on our fifth birthday in February. We're going to be five years old. Full toddler. Uh, um, and one of the things that I've been realizing over the last couple weeks is, uh, and again, I'm, I'm speaking here to people at Call South Hills Home. We have less people volunteering now than ever before in the last five years. And there's a thousand reasons for it. Schedules and health concerns and, and all kinds of stuff. But I think that sometimes, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but Signing up to serve doesn't mean you have to serve every week. I think sometimes we don't sign up to serve because we don't want to serve four times in a month. But because we don't sign up to serve at all, it means that somebody else has to serve four times in a month. And there's people here that show up week after week, and I'm so grateful for them. But we can carry this load together. We can submit ourselves to being a part of this family, of this house. I'm so grateful for the people that volunteer. And I would love for you to find a way once a month, twice a month, once every six weeks. There's people that volunteer online. We've got people that volunteer that live in other states because it's 2020. I don't know if you guys know about the internet. It's a powerful thing. Uh, there's people that show up during the week to help with stuff. There's a lot of ways to serve. So attend, serve, and then the last one is give. Give. And it, this is a difficult topic to sum up in just a few minutes here. But scripture talks about tithing a lot throughout the Old Testament. Jesus acknowledged tithing, and then he also said, yeah, that's important, but also generosity, and, and how would we live generous lives? I heard one person, one pastor talk about how tithing is like the training wheels for generosity, because as, you know, you're, you're practicing giving a portion of what you earn away, uh, and it's, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then as you start to do it, you realize, oh, I can still live, and I can still buy cereal. It might not be fruity, Fruit Loops. Maybe it's Fruit O's, but I can still do this, and I can still, and then you realize it's fun to be generous and to live generous lives and, and give time and resources to other people in need and show up in people's lives that need hope. There's an opportunity for us to give and to join this journey of learning. What does it look like to trust God with my finances, this practice of tithing? I recognize that it might be a big jump for some, some of us, um, maybe you give 1% every pay period. Maybe you give 5%. Maybe you give 10% every couple of months. There's all kinds of ways that we learn this process. But I just want to encourage us to continue growing in that process. The scripture tells me over and over again to be slow to anger. And I'm a lot slower to anger than I used to be. But I know that that doesn't mean I just get to stop. I've not made it. i got to continue leaning into that. And I think when we talk about giving and generosity and how we handle our finances, it's like, yeah, I'm more generous than I used to be. But is that where I'm, I'm going to stop here, or am I going to continue learning and growing of what this looks like? 
So attend, serve, give. Um, and uh, I think it's a crucial thing for us to remember that the practice of doing these things, there's a purpose. The purpose is to love God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the way we show up, experience wholeness with others, experience that sense of, of rightness that we long for in our relationships with others and also in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.